New Year's resolutions. And uh, there's a lot of talk about that. I think probably most of the conversation on television and all of that is sort of with a sense of humor. Uh, and I suppose some people are serious about resolutions. But uh, this being the 7th of January, I would, uh, I would suspect that uh, most of those good intentions have uh, gone south by now. They were ni nice thoughts, right? But the follow-through, <laughs> the follow-through, it's always a bit difficult. And uh, if you're the exception, if you're an exception to that, <laughs> then all power to you and go for it and <laughs> stay with it. <laughs> I haven't even seriously thought about a new resolution for I don't know how many years, a long, long time anyway. But as Christians, we are called to something that is intended to be a way of life for the rest of our life. Because you see, when you become a Christian, it's like you signed up for ongoing transformation. Now, maybe you didn't read the fine print. Maybe you didn't see that memo. But uh, becoming a Christian means that you're on the track of a lifetime of ongoing correction, even regular, ongoing repentance, ongoing change, ongoing growth into maturity. Those, I think, for the most part, are not so much those big, decisive, landmark experiences, though I'm sure many of you have significant ones. But for most of us, it's more the ongoing process, day by day, week by week, year by year process, as God speaks to us. Well, in the passage that we just read, James calls for a positive responding to God's Word. And he tells a parable of two different men. The first one looks into his beer, and uh, probably a hand, uh, you know, a hand mirror made of bronze. And uh, he looks into it, he sees his own reflection, he takes note, but then he goes away and forgets all about it. The other person looks intently too, but he doesn't forget what he saw. And then as James, towards the end of this paragraph, makes the application, the mirror is no longer a literal mirror, but it's the, it's the Word of God. The second man looks intently at God's law, God's message, and doesn't forget but follows through, does what he has to do, puts into practice what he has learned. This passage, James is saying really that, you know, proper response to God's word involves two things, two very simple things, not simple to do, but simple to understand talks about hearing and doing. Hearing and doing. 
Verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen. That's hearing. Verse 22, do not merely listen. (laughs) Don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. Hearing and doing, but beginning with hearing, and I'll give most of the time to the hearing part. You know, if the hearing, if we hear as we should, then we are set up and prepared for the doing. Being a hearer. Now, those to whom James is writing did not have the benefit of the New Testament yet. I mean, after all, what he's writing became part of the New Testament later. And they were dependent on traveling preachers and local teachers for understanding God's message. And so the focus here, you know, hearing becomes kind of literal here. It's not reading, it's hearing. Uh, It's not upon personal study, but learning in community. And frankly, we need that also. Certainly, to be reading for ourselves is part of the answer. And we have the benefit of reading for ourselves. But it's not enough by itself. It's not the whole answer. We need that better perspective that we gain when we are hearing, when we are learning, when we are discussing, when, when there's the perspective of others. And of course, when we are taking advantage of the gifts that different people have, including the gift of teaching. Now, nature, as you know, abhors a vacuum. And frankly, if we're not hearing God's word, we will be developing our whole value belief system That is what we consider important, our whole philosophy of life, from other sources. If there's a vacuum, something's going to fill it. And if it doesn't come from the gospel and God's overall word to us, we're going to fill it anyway. It might come from our own hearts. Oh my goodness, I feel that this is the right thing or this is my opinion. Yeah, but is that... Is that reliable? Or it might come from the trends of the, and and maybe what we feel in our hearts and, and feel is so good and so important comes from the world around us too. And of course we pick up many of those things from different things like television, from movies, from books, from our education. And uh, one influence that we probably, uh, we probably are not even aware of and I'm not sure how serious it is, but just, uh, just as a human interest thing, I, 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 I enjoy some of the commercials. And, uh, and, and, and as a communicator myself, I, I sort of pay attention to how they did that and whether I think it's effective or creative or not. Now, it could be that maybe they're not as effective as I think because I forget what they're even trying to uh, advertise. I'm so taken up by the, the way they do it with their humor and everything. Things have changed. I seem to remember, uh, you know, like 50, 60 years ago, it was straight to the point, and they're really trying to sell you on this and all the advantages of this. Now they kind of take you by surprise with uh, throwing in a lot of humor and, and uh, exaggeration and the whole bit. Uh, but, you know, even commercials may have a, an effect on our value system, and I'll tell you why. 
they are designed to make us discontent <laughs> so, that we will, so that we will buy whatever they're trying to sell. But nature abhors a vacuum, and if we're not shaped by the things taught from the gospel and God's word, then other things will fill that void. And it could be that a regular hearing of God's word is even more important today than before, if that were possible, because biblical knowledge, even among Christians, is very low. I've just been reading a book that Roger Helen wrote and just re released it uh, very recently. It's called The Devout Life. And he has documented some stats for us. Here's a couple of them. Only 14% of Canadian Christians read the Bible at least once per week. Only 14% of Canadian Christians regularly read the Bible. And only 21%, only 21% of Christians reflect on the meaning of the Bible for their lives at least a few times a week. I suppose he suggests they should be doing it daily, but even a few times a week. But only one in five bother to reflect on the implications of God's Word for our lives. You know, small wonder that so often the lifestyle of Christians isn't really that impressive or that much in contrast with others. And you know, if the only difference really uh, has to do with uh, our church attendance, you know, or that we hang out with fellow Christians, that, that's, that's not very impressive. But we need God's Word in our life to become what we're called to become. Well, as we look at the hearing of God's Word, James is describing for us kind of an approach, an inclination, the way that we can lean so that we can better receive the word into our life. And I want to, I, I want to uh, uh, rally my thoughts around these three expressions in the text. Quick to listen. Quick to listen, verse 19. Get rid of certain things, verse 21. And then humbly accept the word, also in verse 21. But beginning with verse 19, with the expression, quick to listen, he says, everyone... Everyone, elders, pastors too, and everyone else, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow become angry. Quick to hear, slow to assert. Self-assertion being quick to express one's opinion, reacting, and even with anger when, when challenged, whether it has to do with dearly held opinions or a way of life, distracts and may actually take the place of really hearing, really listening to what God is saying. Now, it's become a, you know, a, a well-known saying, I think, this one, better to remain silent and to 
he thought a fool then to speak and watch. Remember it? <laughs> Remove all doubt. <laughs> Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. I think that's wisdom. But I'm wondering, is, I wonder if it isn't a paraphrase right out of Proverbs. I'm not sure, but the kind of wisdom in that expression is reflected very well in Proverbs. <laughs> Proverbs 17:28. <laughs> Even fools who keep silent are considered wise. I think that's funny. And then in 1813, if one gives answer before hearing, it is folly and shame. He's saying here, be quick to listen, slow to speak. I have a friend who uh, I really admire. I admire very much. One of my colleagues, his name is Alan McFedrin. I wonder if any of you know him. He's a long-time pastor at our church in... Uh, where is he? Fort Saskatchewan, where our son, our son teaches up there, so I should remember that name. But he's, been, uh, he's had long, pas- uh, long uh, pastorates, Yellowknife for, I don't know, 15, 20 years, and same now in Fort Saskatchewan. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's one of the wisest pastors that I know. There is nobody that I would rather listen to in terms of wisdom, in terms of his experience, in terms of insight. And, uh, but when we're at ministerials, Alan doesn't say anything. <laughs> I, think, I think maybe that's why he's so wise. He, he, has, he has learned to be slow to speak and, you know, quick to listen. Approach his word with a mindset of an inclination that you really want to hear. Welcome the word. And to do that, quick to listen slow to assert yourself, reluctant to say too much until you've really heard. (laughs) Second one, get rid of. He says, get rid of the evil, the filth, all moral filth, and the evil that is so prevalent. Get rid of the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Remove what hinders. Now, I think it's intriguing to consider, you know, that he's actually talking to Christians here. You know, do they have evil? Do they have things to get rid of? Apparently so. And he uses the metaphor of a dirty garment and, uh, and relates that to things that can keep you from really hearing God's word. And the uh, word filth here can refer to the filth which soils clothes or the body. But there was a medical usage also reported on the use of the term back then, and that had to do with wax that had to be washed away out of the ear so you could really hear. When wax gathers in the ear, it can make a person deaf, and a person's sins can make them deaf to God. Get rid of things that the Spirit brings to your attention that you need to present to the Lord so that you can hear his word. We all have an internal filter system. And so we tend to hear what we want to hear. And we tend to filter out what we'd rather not hear. And of course, so often, so often it's what we especially need to hear that we resist hearing. You know, if I have a problem with pride or ego or I have a temper issue, 
I will tend to find a way of not really hearing those challenges about those issues that would come my way, whether it's through a personal friend or through reading of the Bible or hearing a sermon. Now, the issues that prevent our growth into Christ-likeness are probably not, you know, the very tangible, easy-to-spot kinds of sins, but maybe uh, things that are sort of hidden under the surface. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate here. If I, if I were, you know, I'm being graphic here, so uh, just to make the point, if I were to commit murder, that would not be subtle, okay? I mean, that would stand out. That would not be hidden. That would be tangible. But Jesus likens murder to some other things. Hatred. Think of hatred. Hostility. Underlying anger. Deep resentment. Not so, not so tangible. And yet, far more likely to be things that you and I are carrying that stand in the way of really hearing God's Word. For most of us, the kinds of things we have to get rid of are these less obvious sins. Think of our ego needs or the need to be constantly in control, control issues. The need to be constantly affirmed. Possessiveness. Self-centeredness. Resentments that I mentioned. These things are not so obvious. And so the question would be, what is the Holy Spirit saying, pointing to today? Maybe it's, maybe it's resentment against somebody. Maybe it's the, some of the things I mentioned. Maybe it's other things, intangible. Maybe, maybe it is outward tangible sins. But what is it that the Lord wants to get your attention over right now? Be quick to listen. <laughs> Secondly, get rid of some things. And then the third expression, which is the counterpart really, says, but humbly accept the word. Get rid of all the filth and evil and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. I take, it, I take the saving you here to, uh, you know, to have to do with our salvation is in three different tenses. We have been saved. That's justification. We are being saved as he keeps on working in us and sanctification. And we will be saved when we see Christ and are fully. But he says, humbly accept. And that word humbly uh, can also be translated the way ESV translated is receive with meekness. And uh, the idea there is a spirit of gentleness and considerateness. And it's the very opposite of self-assertiveness. And so instead of brashly asserting themselves in anger, they need to be humble and teachable in order to receive rightly the divine message. Humbly accept, with meekness accept. 
what God is saying. What would be some practical? I have, I have a list here, a list of four practical things that uh, can be our, the spirit in which we approach the word where we can receive it with humility and meekness. The one would be a submissive spirit. Of course, bring before God's word a submissive spirit. I am here to hear what you have for me. Your will be done. You are the Lord. Second one, a teachable spirit. Being willing to be taught. Listen to what David prayed in Psalm 86:11. He said, Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. What a statement. Teach me. Give me an undivided heart. And uh, teach me and I will walk. You see, that's the purpose of being taught. It's to walk. Humility, meekness says, I don't know it all. I want to hear more. There are some new things, new to me at least, that I need to know, so teach me. And that isn't just information for, you know, an academic information. It's nice to have a lot of knowledge, to have wide knowledge, but, but this is about things I need practically to help me grow, and perhaps some of the other as well. Teach me, a teachable spirit. And having a submissive and teachable spirit begins with an assumption. And the assumption is that I am still a, a sinner and I need to repent from time to time and seek forgiveness regularly. That's a starting point. That's the assumption. Otherwise, what would be the point of all this? <clears throat> Third thing on my list, I listen for myself. <laughs> I come to God's Word to hear it and to listen for myself. I suspect that as I haven't asked Alan about that, but I suspect that's part of Alan McFedrin's thinking. I listen for myself. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother or my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not you sure told them today, Pastor, just what they needed. Oh, I sure wish my hubby was here. Or I wish the pastor would really sock it to those worldly Christians or those teenagers that are playing with danger or those sinners who need to repent. It has to mean something, and I'm not sure if it's widely known or not, or I should say widely thought about, but you know that by far, the, most of the scriptures are written for God's people. Why? Obviously, God is concerned that God's people learn how they are to be and how they are to live. The one who humbly accepts the word of God says, I am the one who really needed that. And practically speaking, there's only one person you can control anyway. And uh, the best, at least the first contribution that I can make to changing my world and my family or my place of work is change me, change myself. Lord, change the world and start the process by changing me. 
I like an insight that Jill Briscoe offered many years ago. It was published in Christianity Today. This is what she wrote. <clears throat> when we pray for ourselves, our petitions usually center around what we think we need or what we are so sure that we need. But God sees needs in our lives that are far more urgent than those we have written on our heavenly supermarket list. Our need for changed attitudes, a new acceptance of someone we have been rejecting, our need to be cut down to size. These are not things we pray for too readily. But then she says, on the other hand, we do find that we can pray these things for other people. <laughs> Changed attitudes, be cut down to size. Not about me, but about <laughs> that other person. <clears throat> Gordon MacDonald has a story here that is uh, humorous, but it makes the point. He, he says a, there was a battleship that was sailing through darkness on a foggy night. And suddenly there was a light coming towards the ship. The captain commanded to the single man, signal man, signal that ship. We are on a collision course. Advise you change your course by 20 degrees. A moment later, a response came. Advisable for you to change your course 210 degrees. Well, the captain became furious. He spat out. Send the signal. Change course 20 degrees. I'm a battleship. Back came the signal. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> Sometimes, for all my strong convictions and confident self-assurance, the one who especially needs to change course is, you got it. <laughs> Me, <laughs> yeah, a submissive, teachable spirit, <laughs> hearing for myself, I'm the one who needs that, <laughs> standing in the need of prayer. But then there's one more on my list, and it's this one. I must allow others to influence me, to speak into my life. You know, I'm so grateful for a youth leader who also was my second cousin when I was growing up. And my goodness, I don't know that there was anything I didn't talk to him about. But, you know, he really influenced me. I mean, what happens to us? Do we think that we mature, that we don't need that anymore? Yeah, I think we think that mistakenly. But there's a place for letting others influence in us people to speak into our life. You see, we all have blind spots, things we don't see, but they're quite obvious to others, right? And I don't mean that we should put a sign on our back saying, kick me, critique me, tell me all my faults. No. But I do mean that in a healthy church, we can form deep relationships where there are a handful of people who begin to really know your heart and who love you just the same and those that you can really trust to minister to you in love, sometimes, most of the time, I suppose, affirming you, but sometimes also showing you some blind spots, but always in love. Humbly accept. Accept with meekness. 
the word. Well, that's the hearing. And that should, you know, that should prepare us so that we can really be a doer of the word. Belief must be expressed in behavior. Faith must be demonstrated by works. And so James here emphasizes that listening is not enough. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word. Uh, Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, he's like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. And then also he talks about, in verse 25, at the end of the verse, that those who put it into practice, they are the ones who are going to be blessed. And so he talks about the man in the parable here. The first one, he just looked and he saw his reflection. He went off and forgot. But the second one, he continued to look. And then he followed through with what he saw. And at that time, the mirror became God's word. And he followed through. Well, there's the danger of self-deception. Notice what it says, do not merely listen to the word Merely listen, listen, and so deceive yourself. Just fooling yourself. You say, well, that could never happen to me. I know myself. I know where it fits. But here's the thing. Would I, would I, would I know if I was self-deceived? I think not. (laughs) Because if I was self-deceived, of course I wouldn't know. That's the danger. We don't know it when it happens. It's possible to have our hearts warm, to be moved to tears, to say amen, and yet fail to do anything about it. We may think that something significant has happened. After all, we were stirred. We have been blessed. Isn't that enough? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 21, 22, and 23. He says, uh, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Apparently these had been involved in exciting things, yet they were deceived. And here you see their, their, their surprise. They had been involved in exciting things, but they hadn't really obeyed. And their surprise at the end shows that they were self-deceived. Hearers without being doers. We can have all kinds of experiences, yet be deceived. And as I've said before, people can believe the right things and still be deceived. Many of us put a lot of emphasis on precise doctrine, believing all the right things and all will be well, believing, you know, understanding better than most people how the atonement works and the Lordship of Jesus as God and yet man and understanding many of those things, the doctrine of salvation and holiness, being able to carefully interpret all the scriptures. And of course, when we are like that, and that is our disposition, we tend to have strong convictions. 
And there's a certain certainty, there's a certain security that comes with believing things correctly. And yet, if there isn't the practical obedience, faith without works, then it's like self-deception. Hearing and doing. And then he goes on to say, and I'll close with that, the one who does that will be blessed. He says, the one who looked at that perfect law that gives freedom, oh wow, the law of God, the laws of the universe created by God and his law and his word, they give freedom. He says, that person who follows through in that will be blessed in his doing. The call is to put God's word into practice and to make it a way of life, to inform us, to direct us, to be our authority for the journey of a lifetime, then, says, that person will be blessed. Blessed with eternal life, for we must first be, obey the gospel as we receive Christ, not only as a ticket to heaven, but as the person himself who becomes our Lord. And blessed in this life, a life of self-control, a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life of growing into Christ-likeness, and a life that is in harmony with the one who is in authority and who created the universe in a certain way. In harmony with that. Let's conclude with these well-known words from Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that by your Spirit we might accept the reality that we're not there yet and that there are things that you want to deal with us about that there's a need for change in our lives. And so I pray that we might be alert to what by your Spirit you're especially talking to us about today. May we approach it not with a morbid sense of hopelessness or a sense of guilt that cannot be remedied, but rather with a strong sense of your love and of your grace, and of confidence in you that you're going to work in our lives regularly, daily, progressively, so that more and more we can be those that represent you well. Direct us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.